Hello, welcome along to Beer Prime, a podcast all about your favourite craft breweries and maybe some that you've yet to discover. This is episode 84 and it features Henry Kirk of Sussex-based Sunken Nave. Thanks for listening to Beer Prime with me, Paul Newton. In this episode, I bring you a chat with Henry Kirk, the enigmatic brewer behind the newest addition to the already impressive Sussex beer scene, Sunken Knave. Henry, who cut his brewing teeth with such well-known names as Holtz and Harvey's, then came to the fore with Fuller's and Darkstar, decided to strike out on his own once he was made redundant as the Darkstar operation moved away from Partridge Green. Whilst working at a Worthing-based brewery during the week, he uses their kit at weekends to fill his own on-site FVs with his take on historic recipe ales. The brewery is so new, in fact, that he's only just launched his first solo effort alongside a couple of collaborations. Before we speak to Henry, we'll have a chat with Mike Hampshire, who runs Leeds Beer Tours, amongst other endeavours as the next guest in the series of conversations with those whose work in the craft beer world runs to something other than brewing or selling the very liquid we crave. But before that, let's take a look at what's been happening since the last episode. Well, a lot has been going on. Rock Leopard's Stacey IA has been waiting a very long time to be granted a license for his brewery and taproom in Thamesmead, South East London. It finally got approved, only for him to notice that it restricted opening hours to 9am to 6pm on weekdays only. This was all down to an error by the council, and hopefully that will get fixed very soon, as Stacey has been left in limbo for far too long on this project. It will be fantastic to finally be able to get down there and sample his beers. Just not at 9am though, eh Stacey? On to glassware. And have you seen the new glass designed by Japanese design studio Nendo for beer brand Sapporo? Well, it's been described as the perfect beer glass to enhance the taste of Sapporo's first bottled draft launched in 1977 and affectionately known as Kuro label after its black coloured label. The glass has straight sides on the front and back while the left side curves inwards and the right side bulges outwards, creating an asymmetrical silhouette. Nendo explained, Kuro label is well recognized for its multiple distinct flavor profiles, beginning with the first sip, the middle, and ending with the last sip. Well, I usually like to end with the last sip. Uh, taking your palate through a journey of complex flavors and pleasures in one drink. To maximize the richness and aroma of the beer, a glass with three different mouthfeels was designed. So expect to see this gimmicky glass in, well, absolutely zero of your favourite craft breweries soon. And staying with gimmicks, Gentleman Brew Co has launched with its range of six beers, all with AI-generated artwork of generic white bearded men on the cans. 
and not even brewed by anyone even remotely employed by the company. I'm sure that all fans of real craft beer, as opposed to shamelessly manufactured ones, will be thoroughly uninterested. And there's great news that the Crooked House pub will be rebuilt brick by brick, as the owners have been ordered to do this and rebuild it exactly as it was. The pub was the subject of an unauthorised demolition last year, and South Staffordshire Council, having tried to engage with the owners about the situation, got to the stage where they had to impose formal action. The pub in Himley, near Dudley, was known as Britain's wonkiest inn. So the Leaning Tower of Pisa of Real Owl, you might say. Uh, it's going to be some project, but I can't wait to see it back the way it should be. We've talked about Brill on a few recent episodes after they piled into the craft beer market with their acquisitions of Black Sheep, Brick, Brewer Numbers and Purity. Well, according to the Brewing Operations CEO, Mark Williams, the plan is to keep on collecting breweries in a bid to hit £100 million in revenue from beer by 2028. Mark is quoted as saying, Our ideal endgame here is to have a portfolio which appeals regionally across the country. We have a list of target breweries, most of them solvent on the face of it, that we will be in discussions with over the next two to three years. Well, if they end up consolidating any new purchases into their Yorkshire or Midland sites, as they have done with their London buys, then I don't know how they can claim to appeal regionally. This sounds like it's going to be an ongoing discourse, and of course, I'll keep you updated on it. I'll round off by talking about two birthday parties coming up. First up, it's Siren Craft Brew's 11th birthday this year, and they will hold their party at the brewery on the 16th of March. Tickets might still be on sale, but if so, you're going to have to get in fast. The other one is Anspach and Hobday, who will hold their 10th birthday bash at their Arch House Tap Room in Bermondsey, their original home, on the 22nd of March. I can't make the siren celebration, but I'll do my best to get down to Bermondsey on the 22nd. Okay, let's welcome Mike Hampshire from Leeds Beer Tours to the podcast. Hello, Mike, how are you? Hi, Paul, I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Um, you know, I said you run Leeds Beer Tours, but you also yeah. um, send out a, a newsletter called Leeds yeah. Beer Shorts, which I always... Do, yeah. It always comes with a, a nice cheery greeting of A up. <laughs> I, I know it brightens my it brightens my week when I see that. A up. Yeah. Paul. <laughs> Do you know what? I've, that's why I should have said that when we started the podcast, really, shouldn't I? Hey <laughs> never mind, never mind. So uh tell me about these beer tours that leads beer tours. Sorry, not B tours. That's a different person who does yeah, the B tours. Possibly. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> it probably exists. Um so yeah, Leeds Beer Tours, which I understand is a multi award winning tour operator. It is indeed multi-award winning tour operator, yeah. So nice. I started started Leeds Beer Tours um, 2019, actually. Um, I was, at the time, I was run, running a pub in Bradford. Um, so that was taking up all my time. But I'd, I'd been doing some guided tours for uh, UK brewery tours. They were a national mm. national brand. Uh, and after doing tours for them for a little while, I thought, actually, I could do something myself here, focusing a little bit on the on the heritage of Leeds yeah. uh, beer scene. And so I I'd started doing um, once-a-month tours uh, in 2019. 
Uh, and then 2020 came. Uh, we all know what happened then. Yeah, um, the pub <laughs> pub fell by the wayside. Um, and so I decided to have a crack at doing it full-time. Um, Leeds Beer Tour. So I came back uh, with four tours a week um, available and, and all that and all that stuff. And it didn't didn't really fly for the for the first few months. Um, pretty interesting, probably first year of, of running it as a full time exercise because mm. uh, really it opened my eyes as to the the challenges that the tourism industry faces in Leeds. Um, Leeds yeah. isn't really viewed as a as a tourist city, mm. but there's a lot of interest in in the beer scene. So I've tweaked it and adapted it, and uh, and today I've got. Two guided tours that I do, which is the Heritage Beer Tour and one that focuses on modern beer scene as well. Uh, and I've just started a range of uh, developing a range of audio tours as well. Okay, so um, let's go on to those tours then. So, um, as you said, you've got the Leeds Heritage Pub and Brewery Tour mm. um, and the Craft Brewery t- and Tasting Tour. So, those are the two guided tours. So, That's right. I mean, how much are they? What can people expect um, to to do? I mean, obviously. I, I I guess that I know what they can expect to do, but so more the <laughs> the kind of finer detail of what they're going to experience on on the tour. Yeah, so the the, the Leeds Craft Beer Tour um, is fifty quid per person, um, and that's a that's a guided experience of of the modern pub and beer scene in Leeds. So we we start the tour off, um, we get let loose in the uh, in the brewery down at Northern Monk. Um, mm. They trust me um, taking people <laughs> into the, into their uh, tap room at the refe- into their brewery at the refectory. Mm-hmm. Um, just giving people general information about how how beer is made, the ingredients that we use. Um, I usually kick off the tour with uh, how to drink beer like a professional. Uh, so I'm going through all the things that you would do on a on a judging panel with pe- people, which is always kind of fun. Mm. Um, and then from there, uh, we we move on to three different venues, and it's all about sampling. We do some uh, traditional styles as well, but you know, modern styles, pioneering um, things that that are really pushing the boat out a little bit, experimental stuff. Um, so there's usually usually around about ten beers that we include in um, in in that one. Um, usually third. Wow. Sometimes it's sometimes it's sharing bottles. Um, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it, it works out. I think in in volume wise, it's just over it's just over three pints. But because we're like mixing and matching, it's all thirds. Some of them are strong, some of them are not. It's uh, yeah. I always get the odd comment at the end saying I'm I feel way more tipsy than I should. <laughs> um, it's like. By that time, it's three thirty in the afternoon, and my work here is done. That's my mic drop moment to to leave the tour. Um, yeah, and there's plenty of time for them to enjoy some more. Well, if exactly. They want. Yeah, yeah, they can do what they what they what they like afterwards. Um, and then the heritage tour is 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 thirty five, and and that's all about the 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 brewing and pub heritage of Leeds. Um, so we start the tour outside um, where Tetley Brewery used to be. Mm. Um, we used to be able to go inside and um, check out the old Tetley headquarters building. Um, but sadly, that was uh, shut to the public um, at the back end of last year. Fingers crossed it's going to be back up and again after a bit of redevelopment in, in a couple of years' time. Yeah. Um, so we kind of stand outside, talk through the history of Tetley's, mourn its loss, move on. Um, we then head on to uh, the Adelphi, which is a fantastic Victorian pub in Leeds, um, where I basically explain how beer is made through uh, through a documentary video that was recorded um, about seventy years ago now in in Leeds, which is which is really cool. A uh, little bit of a sightseeing tour to, to the next venue, sightseeing. We could we see some of 
general Leeds history and, and some beer history as well. Um, we then end up at the Duck and Drake, which is arguably one of the best uh, real ale venues in, in the city. Um, do a little bit of an activity with the group there. We we, we, we sample a beer while we're there too. Um, and then we do the White Swan, um, which is all about using, um, hand out my free gift to people on the tour is a, is a, is a map of Leeds City Centre. And mm. we just use that to understand how... Um, Brewing has changed over 200 years. Um, and then the the icing on the cake is finishing the tour at White Locks Ale House, which is, Ooh, um, one, is isn't it? Uh, it's one of the oldest pubs in Leeds. Um, I think I've got it down as the second oldest. They'll claim to be the oldest, but I, okay. I think it's the second. Um, What's the oldest pub- then? Uh, there's a there's a pub called the Bingley Arms in Bardsey, which is a village out oh. north Leeds way, and that dates back to the medieval. Um, so significantly older than <laughs> than, than Whitelocks, but still, yeah. uh, you know, established 1715. Um, mm. As I always say, that's 300 years worth of history. I get to talk the groups through, um, and I do it year by year by year. No, I don't. I don't really. <laughs> I, uh, I give a, I give a bit of a potted highlights. Um, yeah, and there's there's beer included each each stop. Um, the beer's got a little bit of a secondary there, to be honest. I do um I do a curated real ale menu. Um but to be honest, the, the tour's accessible for people who, who don't like beer. Um whether they want alcohol free or cider or lager or whatever, I'm not I'm not too well, fussed. Where, where those weirdos. Well, yeah, I mean <laughs> where whether you whether craft beer tour kind of is all about the, the, the beer. Um the, mm. the heritage tour is much more about the wider elements of, of the industry. Right. Mm. Okay. Well, what's your uh, favorite piece of um, Leeds beer history trivia? Oh, uh, put me a little bit on the spot here. <laughs> I, I guess, I guess, I, I guess the, the one that always piques interest is, is in amongst the history of white locks um, is when it first opened, it was, it was known as the Turk's head. And when it was, whilst it was still known as the Turk's head in the latter part of the 1800s, it was actually the first building in Leeds to get electricity. Um, Yeah. A lot of, a lot of uh, nice investment from, from the white locks family before they renamed the pub. Um, So that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. But I mean, don't they have another part of it down further down the, the alley, um, from White Locks now called the Turks Head as well. Is there do, like yeah. a separate venue? They do. Yeah, it used to be it used to be a function room for White Locks. It got refurbished ah. by mm. um, by their. I want to say new owners, but they're not so new anymore. Um, Ed, Ed Mason and, and Five Points have been running it since 2012. Um, yeah. So yeah, 2015 they, they completely renovated out that bar and they they converted it into um, it's a modern craft bar, but it complements White Locks really well and. You know, a not massive nod to the heritage is we're going to call it the Turks Head, yeah. Um, which, which is for for a bit of a well, I'm obviously a heritage nerd, so I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I do understand, looking at your website though, that the craft brewery tour uh, is being retired at the end of August. Yes. Okay. Why is that? I'm kind of. I'm kind of. I've, I've decided it's time to branch out a little bit. The beer tours have been fantastic, and I'm going to continue on with the Heresy's tour. That's that's going to be a cornerstone. Um, but beer generally is still a little bit of a niche thing, um, and Leeds is 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 crying out for for some new tour experience. You know, there's, there's some brilliant the tour guides out there that are doing some really good tours, but there's some untapped potential out there for Leeds. Mm. Um, and so, if I want to explore that, I kind of need to 
give way with some of the stuff that I'm doing now. Uh, and I kind of decided that, that it's probably time to pack the craft beer tour. I'm not saying I'm never going to go back to it. Um, you know, I think the, the volatility of the industry is, is obviously quite difficult. So, you know, I'm reliant on on breweries still being open and pubs still being trading and, and, and that mm. gets a little bit more difficult the, the, the further we're going on to the, into this crisis. Um, so I kind of like, let's pack this for now. I'm going to branch out into, into some other general historical elements of, of Leeds um, and then maybe revisit it a little bit later on. Right. Okay. And of course you do private tours as well. So if anybody yeah. was to come to you and say, I want to do one of the craft brewery tours in say October, you'd happily do that um, sort of yeah. ad hoc for them. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I do a lot of bespoke things anyway. Mm. Um, you know, my public tours, are, it's very, it's quite very regimented when I do the tours and it's all planned out, but you know, with private tours, if they want to do something slightly different at different times on different days, you know, that's absolutely fine. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and I take it people just go towards it. Leedsbeertours.co.uk if they want to book leadsbeertals.co.uk to book absolutely yeah um i'm also on instagram and facebook and believe it or not tiktok as well oh really okay (laughs) excellent i'm i'm i i have got tiktok and i've got a tiktok account solely because my daughter's on it and she told me that i should be as well (laughs) i think i i think i made one tiktok (laughs) i haven't been back into it i must i must do it must do that i must admit my partner katie looks after my social media i've I've got very little patience for 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 doing stuff on social media so (laughs) all i need to do is record some videos and she does some wizardry with it so (laughs) fantastic fantastic um so i did mention at the start of the chat that you also do that leeds beer shorts newsletter yeah Um, and that's really interesting because you know you you sum up basically everything that's going on in uh in beer in leeds uh and the kind of immediate surrounding area um yeah. over the course of um that week and so you know you get uh details about you know beers that are that have been released over the the period of the week details about what's happening with pubs and bars and of course in this time in this day and age when um places are shutting down it's quite yeah. uh, important to have that news being brought to to everybody um but you did have something um that also you're retiring uh but a bit earlier than august the beer <laughs> name of the month yeah okay. yeah absolutely so why have you decided to knock that on the head um feedback from readers to be honest um okay I, when i when i i started doing the newsletter um i'm into my i think it's the third year now of, of doing the newsletter and when i originally started doing it it's because I mean, obviously, I'm passionate about the local industry, um, and on a weekly basis, I was going through and doing a lot of research just to keep myself, at, you know, up to speed with everything that's going on. And I thought, actually, if I'm doing this anyway, why don't I just turn it into a newsletter? Mm. Um, so, Leeds Beer Shorts was formed. Um, the name was actually taken from the fact that I wear shorts a lot, um, so it was kind of like a, a double. <laughs> in any weather, in, in, in any weather, yeah. Um, so we're kind of like a double. A, a double name there, Leeds Beer Shots. Um, so I started this, it was just breweries to start with, um, just just brewery news, and, and that was it. Mm. Um, and then last year, 
middle of last year, I decided to expand into pubs um, as well, just doing headline pub news. Um, but for the last two years, I've, we've, I've been running the Leeds um, B&M of the month competition. Yeah. Um, and the, fir- the first year was really cool. Um, you know, every, every, there were some really great names that were coming out on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd basically, I would create the shortlist based on the, th- the ones that I thought were pretty good. Um, and then I'd leave it out to the readership to, to, to vote and then they would vote their winner. Mm-hmm. And then... The January of each year, we would then and take those winners and and pick a beer name of the of the year. Um, right. Okay. Um, but last year, I, I ran a survey um, with the membership of, or sorry, the subscribers for the for the newsletter, and uh, it it was marmite. And and to be honest, I I was also feeling a bit um, lagged with it, if the truth be known, because the beer names. Mm in 2023 we're nowhere near as good as uh, ah, as 2022 right. um i don't know whether whether those creative juices after covid had, had run out um, yeah so, maybe people had more yeah, time in, in, the, yeah. in the earlier years um, well, um the, the very last one um in february so as you're retiring it uh, as from march mm. uh, so the very last winner is called arnold schwarzbeer I thought that was quite a good one. That's... Yeah, it's, it's fantastic, isn't it? It's a really good name, is that? Um, I mean, do you, do you have one that sticks out across the the years that you've been doing it as the the, the best one in your mind? Uh, the one at the Horsforth, um who won um, the yearly competition actually for twenty twenty two. It was streaming killed the video shop. Oh yes, I've had that beer and I've had yeah, it in yeah. the tap room, and they've the actual uh, pump clip has. Got like um, a kind of the logo, well, not the exact logo to Blockbuster and Netflix, yeah. but it's kind of makes it look like Blockbuster and Netflix. Yeah. Really yeah. clever. Very, it very really clever. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'd agree with you. I mean, I can't remember all of the other ones um, that came before it, but I do I do think that, that was a, a very good name. Yeah. 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 Uh, so obviously we're talking about the, the pub and bar um details and brewery details that, that yeah. you put on the newsletter and the news about what's going on particularly in these times um what's your take on the recent happenings up at north Bruco? um they're obviously just facing the same challenges as everywhere else and it doesn't you know it's obviously doesn't matter the, the size of the brewery and the investment that's going in there there's, mm. there's obviously a complete struggle with with ongoing costs and uh, challenges getting beer out there i think they've they've had a myriad of problems um of, of north which they've verbalized actually when they're when they're now so going into the administration that the issues that they were facing yeah um i think it's interesting that, that steve holt has has picked it up um yes. yeah steve um is heavily involved in in the leeds beer scene um he set up kirkstall um 20 2010 20, 2011ish kirkstall brewery mm-hmm. uh, i remember it being a, a small warehouse out in kirkstall which is one of the um area suburbs of leeds um and then you're relocated the brewery close to the city centre and then all of a sudden over the last two years has opened a variety of different pubs, not just in Leeds but but beyond as well. Um he's purchased the Leeds brewery brand when they went into into administration. Right. He's obviously heavily involved with North, although the commitment is that that's going to be the same management company. Um he's he's just going to be owner. So it'd be interesting to see how that how that kind of develops over yeah over over the over the coming years. Yeah, um, but it's no. great. It's great. It's great that it's been saved, and all those all those jobs have been um, 
prevented and obviously all that beautiful brewing equipment and, and the tap yeah. room at the, at the brewery have, have been secured as well which is fab no absolutely and and it quite shocked me as well that i mean the, the sheer size of north they're, they're mm. not there's a lot of breweries that go under that are quite small and you think well perhaps it's because they're just struggling to get a share of the market north yeah. um you know even down here you you see north beers in a lot of places um yeah. and it shocked me that that I, I guess it hit home that it can happen to anybody it's not margins, just the small guys. Yeah. Yeah. The, the margins are just so fine. Um, you know, Le- Leeds has actually lost something like six breweries over the last over the last couple of years. Mm. Um, one of which I was quite heavily involved in, Nomadic Nomadic Beers. My partner Katie, um, yeah. she owned that. That was one of the early ones to fall into administration. Mm. Um, and yeah, the, the messages are always the same. It doesn't matter who who the brewery is. It's the energy cost. It's the cost of ingredients that are going in and and not been well it's not, the market doesn't have enough confidence to pass all these costs on to consumers simply because consumer can't afford it either so this is really fine balancing act to, to 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 make things work yeah 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 um so i wanted to ask you as well about another venue um that i visited uh i think this was the first time i came up to leeds on, the, on a, a beer trip hmm. um we went to the assembly underground which at that point was uh, a vocation um venue and I yeah. liked it. I thought it was a really good layout. Lots of beers. I mean, lots and lots of uh, taps yeah. of beers. And uh, different kind of uh, food uh, outlet options rather than it just being sort of just like a normal tap room with you know these beers and, and one lot of food. Um, now, that closed down. But I did read yeah. last year, um, perhaps towards the summer, that Northern Monk were taking it over. Yeah, they they opened it. Um, oh, they opened, did they? Oh, I didn't see that. It would have been about autumn. It was autumn last year. Yeah, really. Um, oh. So, so they reopened it. So you you'll know Assembly Underground. I always felt like it was it was you were walking into a beer festival. Um, yeah. I, mm. You know, there, there were lots of beers on the bar there were the food vendors that were on a rotational basis the, mm. there was the the long bench seating that you expect at beer festivals. Um, so it was never. I wouldn't describe it as a bar or a pub. I just it's just like this this festival thing. Northern Monk uh, took it on. They've they've opened it and they've called it the Northern the Northern Market. Oh right, okay. Um, but, and they've I mean, done a, a little, little bit more of a, a, a like a, a refined refurbishment, um, tidy things up a little bit. The, the color scheme is nice. It looks a little bit brighter. What they've done with it, they've got um, permanent food vendors in there now. Mm. The bar is smaller. Um, okay, so it where, was a massive the, bar, wasn't it? It was. Yes. Yeah. So the the original bar has actually gone. Um, it's been replaced by by additional seating now. Mm. Um, it just it looks not not to knock what vocation did with assembly underground. Um, they they were tenants there, so I guess you know they they had some say in what was going on, but not not the full say. Mm. Um, uh, you know, Northern Monk have actually made it look quite a quite a polished space now. Right, that's great. So next time I come up to Leeds, then I'll I'll pay that a visit. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I was looking at the amount of um, pubs or tap rooms that I've been to um, in Leeds over my few trips up there, and I mean this is you know woefully short, I'm sure, of the amount you've been in. Um, but I've been to twenty different places, so I thought that was. Not too that's bad. Not bad. That's, not, that's bad. not bad. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the things that that's interesting about Leeds Leeds beer shops that the reason why I also now include headline pub news is because the number of pubs in Leeds is actually it keeps reducing, which is which is really sad. So that that twenty yeah. that you've been to all of a sudden will become a larger percentage of of, yeah. of all of the pubs in Leeds. No, absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know that you can't um, 
probably show favoritism, but do you have a, a favourite? Of course I do. <laughs> Are you willing to tell us what your favourite is? Uh, to, be, to be fair, <laughs> I, I have two. Um, There's two of the venues that I use on the Heritage Tour, actually. I mean, White Locks is just is just yeah. something else. It's out of this world. If you if anyone ever comes to Leeds, that's you need to check that out. Just even even just to take a look at the decor that dates back to the, uh, 1886. It's just incredible. Um, and the other one is is the Duck and Drake, which is which is another heritage pub. It also dates back to the to the 1830s, but rather than the architecture and, and what have you that i love that for for different reasons um you know the clientele that go in there they've got 14 different relays available mm-hmm. um the beer garden they've got outside is just absolutely sublime it's like this little little oasis um whenever you whenever you see a lot of the local news outlets doing as they all do the, the 10 best beer gardens in leeds and all like you know the, the stuff yeah. that they throw in there it's like a, a, a yard outside a weatherspoons in the city oh. center is one of the yeah. best the, the duck and drake never gets a look in but i tell you if, you if you go there late spring and summertime the beer garden is in full bloom and it is absolutely gorgeous mm. yeah excellent excellent okay um so you've got another role as well you're obviously yeah. a very busy man um you are the <laughs> secretary for the British Guild of Beer Writers. I am indeed, yeah. What does that entail? What do you what do you uh, get up to there? As I described to someone today, I'm the administrative arm for the British Guild of Beer Writers. Okay. <laughs> so so the so the so the guild is uh, basically a a membership organization of influencers and communicators um who are all talking about um beer and cider in in some sort of capacity and that can be people who just do it as a hobby um through to people who are full time um, industry professionals, uh, international award-winning, best-selling authors, and you know all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and the guild provides um, membership uh, our members with trainings, events, meetings, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, the the board, the guild members actually elect a board of directors. There's there's nine people who serve on the board, and they help steer the strategy you know um come up with the ideas for for training and for events and things like that mm. uh, and then it's my job to take those plans and actually do them <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I um so i do a lot with um membership comms uh, so we send out a daily newsletter of of new industry news um we do a, a monthly newsletter as well um, I've got to be, I prepare for the board meetings. So uh, getting all the agenda together, pulling all the papers together, taking the minutes for that, writing the minutes afterwards, getting them distributed. Um, so it really is a, a quite an, quite an involved role, but it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I get to work with some really, really cool people. Fantastic. Excellent. Oh, that's great. Um, it's been excellent chatting with you, Mike. Um, it's, uh, you know, if anybody listening is, ever up in Leeds and they uh, fancy being shown around by an expert of the the, the city's heritage and history, especially mm. when it comes to brewing as well, then uh, obviously they should have a look on your website, uh, leedsbeertours.co.uk. Yes, that would be fantastic. Fantastic. Brilliant. That's great. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Paul. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks again, Mike. It was great to chat with him and I can attest to White Locks being an amazing pub to visit and Leeds in general to be a fantastic beer destination. Lots of great breweries, pubs, tap rooms in the city and also in the surrounding area too. If you do get over that way to sample the beers, check out Mike's website, leedsbeertours.co.uk to book yourself onto one of his tours 
and get all the inside knowledge. While you're there, sign up as well to his newsletter, Leeds Beer Shorts, and you can always be kept abreast of what's going on in the Leeds beer scene. Okay, on to the main guest now. It's Henry Kirk from Sunken Nave. Thanks very much for uh, having me on, on your podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure. I've been watching your story unfolding about you know Sunken Nave getting off the ground and uh, definitely wanted to, to chat with you. And it seems like a quite a, a good time to be chatting with you because you've just launched your first solo beer. Um, and as we were talking just before starting recording, that's going to be launched officially. I'm, I'm sure, yeah, and I know that some people have had the pleasure of drinking that so far elsewhere, but it's officially launched on Thursday this week. Obviously, to those listening to the podcast, that's past now. So tough luck, you can't go. Um, <laughs> but it's going to be at the Evening Star Pub in Brighton, which, of course, has its own history, um, which we'll get on to. Uh, so it's a good time to be chatting with you. But let's get on. First, before we start on to Sunken Nave, let's start with you and your brewing history, because looking at where you've been and uh, the, the breweries that you've worked for, you've got quite a, a CV there. Yes. Um, well, I've been, uh, I've been, I've been very lucky to work in some, some great places. Um, I, uh, I, I retrained as a brewer in my, in my mid twenties. Um, I, I, uh, bumped into a guy whose dad was a brewer and, um, he sounded incredible. His, his lifestyle, he was a Dutch guy who'd moved over to Australia working for Heineken and all this sort of stuff. This is about 2007. Mm. Um, and he was telling me all about the scene in Australia and all this sort of stuff. And at that point, little did I realize, um, as a as a as a very naive, uncouth twenty four year old, that this that the craft beer revolution was bubbling up. Mm. Um, so I decided to go to um, having absolutely no idea how to get into the industry at that time. You know, Colonel and all these guys were just sort of starting out, about barely even barely even that. Um, I went to I went to Harriet Watts. University, which is sort of um, one of the premier um, brewing colleges, and basically, what I very quickly realised is that joining Harriet Watt is, is it's like joining the mafia. So, <laughs> um, so I did, I did a two and a half year course there, and um, and in the summers, uh, my my first, uh, I, I did a, I did a bit of work experience. You know, I, I worked at Badger Brewery, uh, that was the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did, and then I did a brew day. I was actually in, uh, involved at the, the brew day with uh, Redemption and Colonel back in January 2011 for that Victoria oh. Miles, Victoria. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, so that was a lovely uh, beer. That is. Yeah, exactly. And what a clueless little guy I was. I just wondered. <laughs> in there. I had no idea who I was meeting with. I mean, Andy Moffat of Redemption. I don't know if you ever met him, Paul, but he's one of the lovely no, men in the men in men in brewing. A lot of Andes are wonderful. We'll get, we'll get on to the other one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, and then and then the, the next summer I worked um, Harvey's, uh, which was which was incredible. And I mm. to work there, and um, and then and then when when I left Harriet Watts, um, I I got I got a job at, at Fuller's, and when I was interviewed, and this is where it's the, the mafia bit. Um, three of the four people that were interviewing me had been to Harriet Watts, so it didn't really matter how good I was or whatever. There was some sort of aura about me that, you know, we did a special handshake and oh. I was in the door. So, um, 
yeah, that was so. So I had a real, real grounding in the in, in the family brewers, should we say, mm. alongside working for um, sort of craft breweries in in Scotland, like Stewarts of Edinburgh and oh, yeah. Alchemy, places like that. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, so then then I got, then I got into got into Fuller's um, at a really interesting time of their development. They were doing lots and lots of interesting things. Mm. Um, so it's you know it's sort of great great timing that I decided to join this industry at a time when it was really on the up and up and up. I mean, I could not have planned it, um, you know, really real, real sort of dumb luck. If I'd not met that sort of Australian Dutch guy yeah. in 2008, you know, we, we perhaps wouldn't be talking now, Paul. No, that's right. Th- things would have, would have turned out differently. So it's serendipitous that uh, that, that should happen. Exactly. Fantastic. Sliding pause, if you will. <laughs> yes. Sorry, <indeed>. everyone. <laughs> no, that's fine. No worries. Um, okay, so um, so let's focus then on the Fuller's time because uh, you were there for some, as you said, some quite exciting years. Um, and during that time, uh, there's a lovely story about how Prize Old Ale came to Fuller's. Yes, well, it's it sort of it's sort of um, uh, lovely and and and, and bittersweet, um, I would say. Um, Fuller's Fuller's purchased George Gale's Brewery, um, who were uh, were based in Horndean in Hampshire. Um, what was his name? Um, so they bought it in two thousand and six. Um, so it's. And they were really interested in the pubs, really mainly. I think that's that's not um, a litigious thing for me to say. Mm. So I think Gales had about 100, 110, 120 pubs. Okay. Um, Fuller's were not interested in 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 the brewery. They weren't particularly interested in the beers, um, except for this extraordinary beer called, uh, which is a sort of Stingo style, called Prize Old Ale. So a, a, a Stingo. I don't even. I never know if I'm pronouncing that right. But um, it, a, a, a more particularly a Yorkshire Stingo because it was brought brought down by a Yorkshire head brewer in the 1920s. Um, the, the Stingo is just defined as something that is heavily hopped, aged in wood for a year, and is really strong alcohol. Okay. So it sort of started in the medieval times, mm. um, where all the various manor houses. All the lords of the manor would compete with each other to see who could brew the like, strongest ale, and also one that was aged the most. So the big thing they love to do to celebrate the birth of a son is make a stronger beer as the estates could assemble, mm. uh, and then age it for eighteen years or you know, sixteen years or whatever, and then crack it open and see how good it was. So, <laughs> I mean, wow, hey, that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. Um, and then so so what had happened is that this prize old ale recipe had come down. They'd started doing it in the, in the in the 1920s. And the way it was done was at, like Harvey's, like a lot of these family breweries, it, it, was, it had a beautiful tower brewery. So sort of gravity fed. You'd have a steam engine at the bottom and it pumped the water to the top. And there, there was the kettle. And they would have a three-hour boil in this thing. And it was literally made out of copper. So it would be leaking all over the place like a scene out of The Exorcist. And um, you know, so it was boiled for three hours. You know, They added a lot of fuggles and goldings or whatever. And then it was matured in wooden washbacks for two weeks and then pumped over to these wooden hogsheads where it was matured for a year. 
and some of the and um and then and then and then released. So you know what a what a legacy. And luckily, for 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 all of us, John Keeling, the head brewer at um, Fuller's, decided that all that remaining prize old ale, and I think the last brews that were done at Gales were prize old ale. So I think the last beer was the last drop. It was called. Mm-hmm. Was transported to Fuller's. So, and then and then what they did was they brewed a new batch of prize old ale and mixed it up together with the old stuff from Gales, you know, that has its lineage, like Tyson Bury, its lineage um, going back um, to the 1920s and then matured it in steel rather than wood. Okay. So the only slightly disappointing part of this story is that when they then released it themselves, people liked it, people thought, because the sort of quality had kind of drifted a bit uh, at Gales the last few years, um, and uh, people liked it, but it didn't sell enough. So by the time I arrived in 2014, this blend, this sort of Solera blend, had been the remainder of that. It had been in tank for three or four years. Mm. Um, so it was kind of, yeah, like like Cinderella in the maturation room, just waiting for its prince. Is there a prince at Cinderella? There must be. Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, waiting for its brewer to, to, to rescue it. And it took another... Um, Oh my God! It took another eight years from there, six, six, seven years from there to to get it, to get to make it to see the light of day, once uh, once more. Fantastic, but uh, of course, I mean, a lot of people that are listening to this will have drunk the Dark Star Prize Old Ale. Mm. So, of course, we were talking there about Fuller's. Now, obviously, you moved on to Dark Star after Fuller's, and you saw an opportunity to bring Prize Old Ale with you. Yes, it wasn't. It wasn't really an opportunity. It was a rescue mission. Okay. So where 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 it was because the prize old ale had been in this tank for so long, the tank was a bit leaky and all that sort of stuff, and um, they wanted to get rid of it. They wanted to chuck it down the drain and get rid of that Ooh. tank so that they could have they could um, extend their cleaning system for another tank in for that. So I was like, whoa, 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 whoa! Having previously failed utterly to get. Fuller's to re-release Prize Old Ale. Um, luckily, they agreed because Fuller's. Uh, so Fuller's bought Darkstar, and then Fuller's sold out to Asahi six months later. Um, they they agreed to ship it to Darkstar. Mm. So I had it. I finally had it in in my in my in control. You know, baby, baby wasn't singing in a corner anymore. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So obviously, you know, that's. Uh, a- a testament to to your tenacity that you did manage to get it to see the light of day and uh, and have people enjoy it but now that you're not with Darkstar and they are i'm assuming they're, they're continuing to to produce prize over there are they well, well they did they did back in november yeah um uh, Darkstar, of course um lives on uh somehow mm. they shut the they shut the partridge green brewery yeah. so dark star is no longer based in Sussex anymore. Um, yeah. so I think they, they're brewing in the meantime, there. aren't they? In... Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. well, um, the bit, all the big brands have done it, they made it Fuller's. Uh, oh, okay. So in the meantime, are doing little bits and pieces, I believe. Um, but yeah, the, the, the Ducks, uh, meantime, did the, did the prize old ale. So we now have a very confusing situation where the last batch that was released was made at meantime, but has a dark star label on it 
and this prize all day. But you know, I'm I'm just I'm just thrilled they're um you know they've 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 continued it and I thought you know obviously I thought my version of of it was was better of course I would you know I'm an egotistical mm. maniac like that but you know I think, <laughs> I think I think I think they did I think they did a good job and I think the sales have been really good so hopefully it will become an annual annual tradition. Yeah, yeah. Well, hope so. But uh, I mean, let's talk about your brewery. So Sunken Nave. Yeah. Um, you started that up just sort of towards the end of last year? Yes. Well, good question. I, I, I became a director of Sunken Nave Limited in May of last year. Right. Um, but yeah, so it's it's been a very long process trying to find premises, purchasing a, a fermenting vessel. Mm. Um, you know, it's there were there were there were a few false dawns, shall we say? Um, uh, yeah. So it's it's uh, yeah. So I I I did the first brew in the beginning of December of last year. So that's when it yeah finally became more than just a logo. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's the beer that we're talking about that's going to mm. be uh, launched on Thursday. Um, yeah. Mumping ale. Mumping ale. Yes. Mumping ale. So. I'm, lo- I'm sure a lot of people are going to uh, want to know what mumping is. So, um, this is, uh, so I, I've, I've lived in Worthing for about nine years now. And before that, I lived, before my brewing thing, I lived, I lived in Brighton for a long time. So, um, you know, I, 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 I like to consider myself a, um, adopted Sussex person. Um, so I'm very interested in, in, in sort of Sussex history and Sussex dialects and stuff like that. Um, Sussex dialect, the language, not Sussex Daleks. I don't think there was any of those. <laughs> I don't think so. Well, I didn't, I didn't yeah, you never pick know. up on that. <laughs> you never know, exactly. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll need to do some Googling. We, about that. we, haven't, we haven't asked them all yet. So you know. No, exactly. We haven't. That's where it may have all started. Um, but, uh, yeah, so basically the... Um, the Sunken Nave name itself came about because in in Worthing, they, like a lot of these coastal towns, the, the land used to go out a lot further, and there was a church out there for the sailors. Mm. And slowly the sea sort of encroaches, and there's lots of contemporary accounts of people giving sermons there when like sea water is around three sides of the church. So it's always something that occupies my mind. Uh, whenever I tell this story, my wife's like, you really need to develop like a 10 second version of this <laughs> rather than the however long we've got before midnight. Um, and basically one night, apparently, or over several decades, depending on how romantic you are, it fell into the sea during a storm. So legend has it that you can hear the bell ringing at, you know, during storms and stuff. So I always just thought that was an interesting idea i mean because to be honest with you initially i was like i need one word i need a beak i need a redemption i need a cloud water together um you know it's but i couldn't i couldn't find them you know there's twenty thousand breweries all over the world it's so i I decided to give myself two words so that that and then some reason that sunken and then the nave you know the middle part of the church Put a K in front of it, that becomes like a knave, like a rebel, you know, like a smuggler or whatever. Yeah. So I was like, this is this is it. And um I've never had that level of inspiration before or since. So that's that's <laughs> where it came from. And so again, because there's always again in like loads of other towns, 
in, in, in Worthing, you've got these things called twittons, which are like these little alleyways where basically all the smugglers would roll their barrels of, you know, illicit French cognac to, and these twittons always end at pubs. Like the, right. um, like there's one of the hare and hounds and there's one at the, at the Georgian dragon up in towering and all this sort of stuff. Um, so it, it all coalesced in my mind. So on, on that theme, mumping ale is basically, uh, because I, uh, because I brewed it in December, um, I was looking through some of these Sussex folklore books that, that people very kindly buy me because, you know, what do you get the man who's got everything? Um, <laughs> And basically, uh, St. Thomas's Day, the 21st of December, was the day when the poor of Sussex would go around banging on the doors of the rich people. And they demand food and drink and money um, with various levels of, you know, um, aggression so that they could have their their um, their Christmas day. You know, so they okay. were allowed to. And that in Sussex was known as mumping, so mumping day. Right. So there was something about that sort of rebellious um, spirit, you know, that, that, that appealed to me, leapt out of me. Because if you think naming a brewery is bad, try naming <laughs> Yes, yeah. It is. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, it's because I was going to call my brewery um, Popple, which is, again, a, a sort of Sussex word for, for bubble. I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. Popple, this, this is incredible. And then I went on untapped, and obviously Beak have already done a beer, and it's got like 4,000 check-ins. So I was yeah. just like, on untapped. So, you know, that's that's not possible. So Mumping, mumping Ale, when I said it to, to my distributor and, um, you know, various other people, they're like, they're like, cool. And uh, I said to my wife, and she was like, "Who's who's been lying to you about this mumping?" <laughs> but it's it's you know it's good. It's got people asking the question. Um, Absolutely, yeah. you know, and it and it kind of kind of ties to the Christmas. And I, you know, I'm in effect mumping on the doors of the landlords of pubs of Sussex yeah. and and anywhere else who has it. So that's you know, right. I, Take my beer. Take you know, sell my beer. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Well, no, it's great to have a story behind it. I mean, as you say, there there are so many names out there and sometimes they don't really mean a great deal. They're just plucked out because they kind of look good, sound good, whatever. So it is mm. great to have that story mm. behind the, the name of the beer. But of course, as that's your first one, it does now set you up that every single one has to have an interesting story. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> That's why I'm only going to brew twice a year because it's going to, the writer's block has already ascended. On <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just going to be the same beer twice a year. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow. So, Good idea. Let, yeah. Well, let's talk about that beer then. So, it's six uh, percent and described as dark, malty, and complex. Tell us what went into it. So, I really love the sort of old, old ales of, of Sussex. So, rather than a prize old ale, it's like nine percent. Old ales in Sussex are sort of like between four and four point five percent usually very like black in color mm -hmm. but but there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on that is going on because for to do it you need, they use a lot of um people at harvey's and stuff like that they use quite a lot of, uh, of table salt the sort of sweetness and the mouthfeel and stuff they're kind of like old style you know miles really mm. but um and it's important the color is really important so it's important to be very dark but to not have a huge stringent malt character in my personal view other sussex brewers i hope have a totally different interpretation 
and I look forward to meeting them and we can have a long argument about it, but that's for another time. Mm. But yeah, so it's sort of soft mouth. It's like almost a New England style water profile, very dark, um, just, just, just sort of quite mellow. And then with, with a bit of sort of forest fruit stuff coming from, from the crystal malts. Um, so, but to achieve that color, that dark color, a lot of guys use caramel food coloring, which which is fine. You know, it's a well-established um, ingredient. You know, mm. it's 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 safe, everyone. Um, <laughs> but I just thought to myself, why am I doing all day? First of all, there's a bit stronger ABV, so like eight, uh, not eight. HMRC um, is listing. It's definitely six. <laughs> um, the, um, it's so what if, I did, what if I made it without the food coloring, not the well, yeah, the caramel food coloring? What what would it look like? Mm. So and the and well, you'll 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 find out, Paul, when you when you when you drink it on Thursday. Yeah, um, and it's it's sort of very very reddish. So, so I I've used eighty percent Marisotto malt, fifteen percent crystal, uh, you know, five percent invert, some some wheat. As well for head retention and stuff like that. So um, yeah, so I'm you know I'm, I'm kind of uh, yeah you know I'm reasonably happy with it. You know I'm, I'm sure it'll be the okay. worst beer that Sunken Name ever make, but um, you know it's 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 uh, yeah. I mean it was crazy. I mean when I when I was at Fuller's I was I was um, sort of in charge of the of what we call wort production, so like the hot mm. side. So I was ordering in you know 125 tons of malt and you know 15 tons of hops every quarter and there i was with this brew with my five kilos of earnest hops <laughs> it was all my own you know <laughs> like 94 pounds including delivery and then the <laughs> half a ton of malt from simpsons so um yeah so it was you know i should say i am i am happy with it but you're never going to be totally happy with yeah. anything I guess, yeah. yeah I might I guess. as well just give up. <laughs> well, I'm sure that, uh, as you say, you know, there are, there are, it's going to be great, and there are much better things to come as well. Um, you mentioned the um, the hops there, Ernest. Was that from Hugins? It was, yes. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I've, I'm loving the the beers I've tasted so far with Ernest. Uh, they've been absolutely superb. Um, Right. Okay. Um, mm. So that beer is cask only at present, but I do hear a rumor that there may be a few bottles soon. Yes. Um, when you work for a big company, there's thousands of, or hundreds of people who work there and you have no idea who they are and you have no idea how much you owe them. And then when you have to do something by yourself, you're like, I really miss all those guys. So a big thing for me has been getting hold of barrels because when you're having all the discussion, I don't know, this is probably incredibly boring, but when you're, when you're, when, when you know, you've got to talk to all these guys who, who either sell you barrels or lease you. I'm talking like Firkins here and stuff, nothing, nothing sexy like wine barrels or anything, mm. you know? So I did this brew and I just sort of thought to myself, well, it'll be just straightforward. I'll go and talk to these guys and, you know, they'll just deliver them and they'll be great. And they know they want, they want huge amounts of money per fill and they want exclusivity and all this sort of stuff. And I'm just like, oh, wow, this is, this is, this is the big bad world of distribution. Um, so yeah, so I had to sort of scrounge around for casks. Mm. Um, 
so but I, I I'm, I'm sorting that out as we speak so yeah this one will be cask but there will, there will be some bottles a very very small amount I'm going to um, Indie Beer Feast in Sheffield um, beginning of March so there will be some bottles for that um, but then we'll see how much I've got I've got I've got left after that I mean the problem is is that Perkins are wonderful because I can just fill them all myself when it comes to like bottling, you know, I'm going to need at least two other other people. So yeah. you know, it's 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 it's. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm in control of the bottling machine. You know, I've got I've got the equipment. I just need willing sort of like volunteers or something who are willing to come in on a Saturday and like cap bottles or you know yeah. put them. You know, it's 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 that it's that amateurish. This this is sunken nave, one man band. Territory. Hey, so I want to do bottles. I want to spread it out, but you know, it's this is this is where I'm at. To be completely no, honest, with you. you know what? I'm well. First off, I'm sure there may be some people listening that fancy volunteering their time to come down and do that. So, if anybody lets me know, please, I'll put them <laughs> in touch. Um, but also, like you know, you're you're saying about how you know one man band, but I think fans of craft breweries, regardless of whether it's a craft brewery doing modern craft or traditional beers. I think actually that is something that craft beer fans and I could be speaking for a lot of people that are shaking their heads as we speak this as I say this but I think actually that is that is um a a plus for a lot of people a lot of people like the fact that it's not just a whole team of people that one person's in charge of doing that part of it then they, then they pass it on to somebody else and they they're not bothered about what happens to it afterwards because it's that next guy's job and then that guy does his part and he passes it on to somebody else. Um, but the fact that somebody is doing everything, absolutely every last bit of it, um, and it just shows that it's a labour of love. It's not just a, a, an operation to make money um, and produce some beer, make some money in the process. Um, and I actually think, you know, for me, that's a, that's a big plus. Yes. Well, well, thank you. Yes. Um, uh, I'm, I'm delighted you, you feel that way. I mean, it's... Um... Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to make the beers I want to make any other way. So mm. if I had, um, if I had lots of uh, investment immediately, there's a lot of control over, over, over what you're, what you're producing. Quite rightly, because it's not your money. So you know, mm. the next beer we're going to brew, in fact, on Saturday, is an eight and a half percent barley wine. You know, who wants that beer, especially as we're coming into summer? You know, I'll be I'll be ringing around the pubs like, yeah, you want to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget those four percent pails. You what you need is a firkin of eight and a half percent barley wine. <laughs> that will that will slake the thirst of all of all the people of of of, of the south. Um, you know, but I kind of I I I've wanted to make that beer. You know, if you look at the Victorian. Um, recipe books, you know, you look at a lot of the work of Ron Patterson and, and Martin Cornell and stuff. A lot of those Victorian beers were incredibly simple and elegant. You know, they were a hundred percent pale malt. They were, mm. you know, um, they were just a lot of low alpha hops. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my own one and see and see what happens. Um, you know, because that's kind of for some reason, I've got a bit of this sort of fascination about the fact that, you know, before World War One, everyone was, we were all drinking like Belgians. We were all, everything was 8% or 9% or, you know, that sort of stuff. 
Mm. And um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I've got no one else to blame but myself. So it, it's only right that it should be down to me um, to convince people to 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 purchase that. And and as you say at the beginning of this whole thing, it is about just making enough money so I can I can continue the cycle. The, the, I, I I should say that. Um, my my little tank, my twenty hectolitre, two thousand litre tank, is based at Hand Bruco in Worthing. So I work right. there. I'm very lucky to say that I work there four days a week, mm-hmm. um, and then Fridays and Saturdays I'm doing I'm doing sunken sunken nave thing. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that's that's I'm, I'm very lucky that I've got that um, home there to get to get me started. Yeah, um, where we where we go from here, I have I have. I have no idea, but we we will see. Hopefully, we'll have a bit of fun. I think we'll definitely have fun on Thursday, anyway. At yeah, least. yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's early days, isn't it? Um, as you say, you know, you're just starting up. Um, as as you're saying, you've got the the, the home at Hambrew that's given you the ability to to sort of have the job to be able to you know afford the normal things that everybody wants to be able to afford. Yeah. Or has to has to afford, um, but then the uh, the weekends, the Friday Saturday to uh, to do your own thing as sunken knave, and yeah. I'm sure I'm sure that you know, as time goes on, you'd be looking to to get your own premises, but it's probably too early for that at the moment. Oh yes, I mean absolutely, that's the that's the plan. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been over to Burning Sky in Pearl. Yes, I have. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's the that's the dream, that sort mm. of thing, where I just have some like 17th century half timbered um, barn in the South Down somewhere, where it's just full of barrels, where I just spend my days sort of cracking them open, going, no, that needs another six months, and oh, we'll blend that. <laughs> you know, that's that's the fantasy. Yeah. Um. How, how you know how how close I ever get to that sort of maison? Um. I don't know, but I think to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I'm you know. I'm, I'm in my early 40s and I've been around the business a long time now. So I think for me, it's just about enjoying each step and you and you can't think too too far ahead and just hoping, um, you know, lots of opportunities have come my way just from simply releasing that BF, from simply writing a blog. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and I, as I say, I'm very lucky in, the, in my career that I've, I've worked in a lot of great places, so I know a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that's 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 my that's my thought process. I'm just going to sort of ride ride it and and and, and see see where it goes. Um, yeah. You know, people people are desperate for a business plan from me, and it's very very sketchy. It's through <laughs> what I want, and then try and get someone to buy it. Yeah, yeah, very simple. You know, that at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Um, you mentioned Burning Sky there, and of course, Mark Tranter was previously at Dark Star himself. Mm-hmm. Um, now he left Dark Star because he wanted to, con- to to concentrate on brewing the types of beers and the volumes of beers that he does now at Burning Sky. Um, at that moment in time, he was being told that he had to basically just churn out, you know, tons and tons and tons of the same old few beers. Yeah. Um, now, of course, you then yourself went from Fuller's to um, to Dark Star. Mm. When once. Darkstar was under the ownership of um, Fuller's and to a, a more a greater degree, perhaps Asahi. Did you find that you were sort of being reined in? Um, no, I, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I had I had the opportunity to brew loads of uh, different um, 
4.7% pale ales. But no, I mean, that's, that's slightly <laughs> unfair. I was, you know, the, the, the marketing people in South Versailles, they were, they were, you know, they were, they were good people, you know, and I think we, we, I'd like to think we, we made some good, we made some good beers there. Um, mm. so there was no, yes, the, the, the difficulty, the difficulty was, was structural. So they, Versailles didn't know what to do with Dark Star. And I think to an extent it still doesn't. Mm. Um, and, you know, they, they made a lot of decisions around distribution that made it very, very hard for us. And, um, so that, that side of it was, was, was very difficult. It was very sad, but the actual, there was no restrictions on, on what we wanted to make. Um, and in fact, I was in a very, very lucky situation in that I had the meantime hot contract and the fuller's hot contract that I could just call off from. So I had access to, you know, amazing, amazing hops and lots of it. Um, so, you know, there was, there was, there was, there was a lot of, um, positives of my, of my time there, but, you know, it was, uh, ultimately, um, yeah, it's, it, yeah, when you, you know, when you work for a company that's the fifth biggest brewer in the world, um, mm. a tiny little brewery in West Sussex is not, uh, you know, with all the problems that, that comes with being that size. I mean, look at what Carlsberg have done in terms of shutting down breweries left, right and center. Yeah. You know, these, these macros, they are chaotic. I mean, they are absolutely, people are firefighting, people don't care, people are flying in, you know, you've got seagulls everywhere doing their business on people, then flying off. Um, you know, that was a metaphor. Yeah. Um, the, you know, <laughs> that would be quite um, scary if that was yeah. a real thing happening. With me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, exactly. But, you know, these, these sort of metaphorical <laughs> seagulls of this world and it's well, um, well you will you will brew in worthing where there's lots of seagulls so you know that's that will happen exactly that will happen i have to keep the, <laughs> the, the, the shutter doors down yeah um so yeah i mean it was uh yeah i mean again i keep i keep saying it. i was i was i was very lucky but ultimately it was it was sad because i'd been drinking dark star beers for 20 years mm. so and i actually went for the head brewer job just before fuller's bought it without fuller's knowing while i was still there oh, um wow. And then, so when I finally got the job and I joined two and a half years later, or a year and a half later, you know, this was not the dark star I was hoping for. You know, this was not the free, vibrant, independent um, brewery that I was hoping for at all. But, you yeah. know, it wasn't a hostile takeover. Full as, uh, the dark, the people behind dark star were desperate to sell. They were exhausted and they were, and they got a pretty, pretty good price for it. Let's be honest. It, you know, when we look at what's happened to all these yeah. other various breweries that fallen into administration, um, mm. you know, it's these things have these breweries. I mean, you know, Dark Star was 25 years old when I think when they sold it, or just just 24 years old or something. These these things have have, have shelf life. So you know, so talk to me in 24 and a half years, and um, hopefully I've got a nice big check yeah. in the pocket I don't, or Bitcoin or whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is by that time. Yeah. Well, and, and the fact that Hophead was moved to Fuller's mm. meant that immediately 80% of production was gone. So we, we became a little a little backwater. We went from, I mean, because that, that site at Partridge Green, that was the biggest brewery in West Sussex. Really? Miles. Yeah, mm. we had we had 12 80 hectolitre tanks. We had four maturation tanks. We, you know, it, it was it was a big, big deal. Um, and then, you know, so we... We were sort of left, especially with COVID hitting as well. I mean, I joined November 2019 and then March 2020. Mm. Um, we, 
you know, and the reason why I went there originally was that Asahi invested in the site. You know, they did actually put some put some money in. They 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 you know to be to be fair to them, and we and we were allowed to create, you know, I I think on a personal level some, some nice some nice beers. I can barely remember what they were, but you know they were nice. Um, and then and then we would we would make APA and 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 Revelation and things like that. Um, but they wouldn't let us do they wouldn't let us do keg, and they wouldn't let people. Um, distributors come to Partridge Green to pick up barrels, and so that was that that caused us a problem locally. So we lost a lot of accounts and a lot of messing around, and you know stuff that I wasn't aware of until it was, until it was sort of too late. So yeah. there wasn't, you know, I, I, I mean, again with I mean with these big companies, to be fair to them, you know, you have to have cost control, um, and. Unfortunately, that does that does have compromises, and and it does affect it does affect quality. There's no there's no there's no way about you know there's no two ways about that. And the and the I think the truth is I mean I'm I'm going off on a little tangent here, but I think what what I'm what I'm trying to do here and start slowly and you know hopefully eventually have have a brewery to my name is you the only way you can survive now in craft I believe is by being hyper local. Is by being yeah. really tight with your landlords. I'm lucky that I know a lot of them, you know, with your, with your, with your bars, with your, with your bottle shops, things like that. If you, I mean, look at people, you know, without naming names, we all know who's people who've really shot for the moon and tried to get into that, into that big, big business. It can't be done. Mm. You've got, it, it's, it's just not, it's not possible now, unfortunately, because a lot of these, what these big guys do, these macros do, which is precisely what Asahi have done with Darkstar, and they will do it. They want a portfolio that they can offer chains. So, you know, Heineken yeah. have won because they've got Beavertown. So Beavertown alongside Amstel, alongside Heineken, alongside, you know, um, Murphy's or whatever it is, their rival to Guinnesses, mm. you know, they can offer that. And it doesn't matter where those beers are produced. I mean, if you look at um, cask beer now, Marston's is making about two, about, it feels like about three quarters of all the heritage brands in the UK. Yeah. You know, it's all coming out of Northampton, uh, not Northampton, Wolverhampton, um, you know, and, and, and Burton. And that's, that is, you, you just can't, yeah, maybe I'm sounding defeatist because I've been in the game too long. But to try and break into that, yeah, is extraordinarily difficult. And also, ultimately, why would you want to with all the um, compromises that entails? For no, me? true. No, you're absolutely right. As you said, um, being local, and you know, people do love to support local and drink local mm. as well. So it's great to sort of say, well, okay, I'm not going to challenge. Marston's. I'll challenge Harvey's, but I won't challenge Marston's. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and um, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's, I, I can't, maybe I'm just being, you know, sort of, uh, uh, got my blinkers on, but I just can't, I can't see a way forward at the moment anyway, beyond that. Mm. You. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, so obviously Mumpin' Ale is your first solo beer. We've had a little bit of a sneak as to what your second solo beer is going to be. Not the name of it, but the <laughs> the type. But you have been doing some collaborations uh, as Sunken mm. Nave. So tell us about those ones. Well, um, yes. So the so um, at the Evening Star on Thursday, or 
as we enjoyed Paul on last <laughs> Thursday or whenever yes. this comes out. I, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was really, I mean, the police were called, but it was all sorted out amicably. Um, the, we'll, we'll, we'll have three beers on, so there'll be two collabs plus the mumping out. Mm-hmm. Hilariously, all of them will be 6%. All of them have Ernest Hops in. But they're all they're all different, I promise you. I think. Okay, all right then. You can you can tell me on the day. So yeah. the the first one is um is is elusive. So Andy Parker, who I'm not sure whether you've met Paul, but oh, I have. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful man, great brewer, wonderful story as well. How he won the homebrew competition, and you know he's such a great communicator. You know he had all these blog posts about how he um. Uh, you know how he started and all the pitfalls and stuff, and he's still, yeah. you know, he's, he's he's giving talks all the time. Um, you know, one, wonderful guy, and uh, so I've known him for a long time. Um, and I sort of I messaged him, you know, and just sort of said, Andy, can we can we work together? Now, Andy is such a, um, a co- collaboration hogger that he's literally worked with everybody. Plus, he's made every different type of beer, <laughs> except. Old ale. So when I said oh, to him right. about these Sussex old ales mm. and it being a bit different, you know, and and not spending a fortune on hops, he was like, "Oh, okay." So um, you know, that that's that's what got my foot in the door. And then when actually when I went to do the brew, um, Rick, their brewer there, he could have not have been less fussed that I was there. He was so <laughs> over it. I gave him my hat and everything. He was just like, mate, we get like, you know, two of you guys in a week. So, you know, I don't get laces, brew the beer. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> it might be a bit unfair, but that's how it felt. Really. <laughs> um, and, and then, and then, so yeah, so what, what we did there was we went, we went super trad old ale. Mm-hmm. We had that sort of caramel, a little tiny little bit of that caramel food coloring for, for color. Um, and, um, you know, we, we took, I, so I got that grist. So I've got spreadsheets upon spreadsheets of recipes of old, old ale recipes that I've been able to get hold of, talking to people. You know, when I was at Harvey's, I got that old ale recipe and all that sort of stuff. So I was able to collate information. So in terms of like, you know, fermentation attenuation, a lot of these, they're in low, low 70 of a percent. So leaving behind a lot of residual sugar and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, a high percentage of crystal malt, a high percentage of table salt, all that sort of stuff. Andy and Rick worked it out. And, you know, it was a wonderful brew day. They had this incredible, one of my beers of 2023 was there, which was this like Christmas spiced barley wine, which is incredible. Oh, yes, the mince pie one. Yeah, the mince pie one, that's it, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Mm. Incredible. And then, um, and then we made it, and then I went, um, and then I got a can of it, and I don't know if you've ever seen the film Amadeus, but mm-hmm. I cracked open that can. Yeah. And I drank it and I felt like Salieri in that movie. You know, <laughs> where I was just like, only I understand how well Andy and Rick and everybody has really nailed this beer. Mm-hmm. It was really, as an old ale, really beautifully done. Um, I'm getting thirsty, actually. I've, got, I've still got some cans. <laughs> In the, in the thing, I think it's still available on their web shop, so go for yeah. it, guys. Yeah, it's called Overboard, isn't it? Yeah, Overboard, that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, sto- the story behind Overboard is quite funny as well, in that, well, I think so anyway. In that, over, uh, have you ever seen the Overboard film with um, oh, Goldie Horn? Uh, Goldie Horn and, and yeah. Kurt Russell. Yeah. I mean, they met on that set anyway. All right. Um, but 
so me so i was hit brewer and that was the thing about prize old ale i launched um prize old ale in the heart pub in london the best you know mm. this was like the pinnacle of my career right and yeah. then a week after sahit were telling us that we were all that they were shouting partridge green and um you know <sighs> we're all being made redundant so i went from that height to nothing mm. um, and i was kept on for three months while they slowly removed bits and i had to go to meantime to teach them to try and tell them how to brew dark style beers and stuff um and uh so i went from being a head brewer with the world at my feet to nothing so i was you know i was the most appallingly entitled um irritating head brewer in the world <laughs> and then suddenly like goldie horn if you've ever seen the movie she's she's this rich appalling woman and then she hits her head and goes overboard and kurt russell rescues her from the hospital and she's lost her memory and she has to start from the bottom and so for me on my job at hand, I'm basically a, I'm, I'm a brewer. I'm delighted to be one. But all the dreadful jobs that I've spent nine years avoiding, like digging out mash tons and using a forklift <laughs> and, you know, lifting up mash plates and carving up beers and yeasting off and stuff, I have to do all this. So I am, I am the Goldie Horn of Overboard. This is, this is my life. <laughs> okay. And so when, and that's, 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 that's my touchstone. So, um, mm. and I was coming up with loads of names because Andy and Ruth, uh, the um, direct, uh, the sales director there, wanted me to come up with a name, and I kept giving them Sussex stuff, and they just were not responding. They were not returning to me. So then I was like, I just sent, I just said, "What about Overboard?" And they were like, "We love it." So that's how <laughs> it, that's how that, that name came about. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, so they really, really nailed it. Really. Just so beautiful. You have to try it, but really, that's all. Forest fruits. I mean, a little, a little tingle from the carbonation. They burn his tops. You know that that we we just put in again as as is traditional. We just put in the. Um, what did we did we do that? Well, we, yeah, we did most of it at the start of the boil, which is what what again is another factor on this because you don't want a huge amount of hot. So mm. I think we may have added it a little bit. At the end, I mean, this this thing, the hospitality was so good at Elusive. I think I missed most of the brew because I was just drinking beer and eating Christmas pudding. <laughs> um, so you know, playing computer games and stuff in their town. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm a bit hazy about what actually <laughs> happened, but I was there. Um, and so we and yeah, so that that was that was incredible. And they and they put that into keg and cask, um, and so there will be a cask of that. The, at the evening start so that will have been aged another three months mm. it was tasting amazing on cars so i'm hoping it'll taste even better again paul you'll be able to tell me directly what you think yeah and then there's my old ale not quite an old ale thing at six percent which is which is very different because as soon as i drank that can i was like oh my god this is a problem how do i follow this up <laughs> and uh you know and then yeah so we got we got we got two versions of yeah. it mm-hmm. you know by doing that version with elusive i've sort of exercised a traditional um you know my traditional first album now i'm getting really noodly and exp- experimental did you use the, uh, did you use the brewer's caramel in the overboard we did yes right okay yeah. but a, 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 tiny, a tiny amount really because we realized quite how black it's like it's like staring into the universe. This stuff, you know, the <laughs> European 
um, Brewers Congress colour units is 15,000. <laughs> yeah, to put that into perspective, you know, the EBC of Pale Ale models is like six. Oh. You know, it is... Wow. It is. I mean, don't it's a it's a black hole. Don't look into a doo doo be sucked into another dimension. <laughs> and then and then the third beer on mm-hmm. will be the um uh sim is a collaboration I did with the Glasgow Heroes, the Muir End Heroes, uh, Simple Things Fermentations. Okay. Um Phil and you went up there. So uh Phil got in touch with me. Uh, when I was at Darkstar, and we were going to do a mad old um, green hop beer, and we were going to barrel age, we were going to do all sorts of crazy stuff. But then, as you can imagine, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, I got made redundant. But see, we he he didn't he didn't reject me. He didn't he didn't ignore me. He still took my calls. Um, so I went up there in September, and we had a chat face to face, and met for the first time face to face. It was brilliant to be up in Glasgow and meet Phil and everything. Um, and so we were just talking again about brewing history. And my one of my big bugbears is how, you know, the Belgians, this is very over, you know, people are going to shoot me down in the comments. <laughs> but the wonderful thing about Belgium is that they, they learned a lot about beer from, you know, from the UK. And then we forgot about it and they kept it going. So that's why it's so thrilling, you know, road and back to go to places like that. It's unbelievable. Yeah. See all those wooden vats and all the lambic stuff. And I'm not saying we taught them everything, but you know, we had similar um, heritages, but heritage. Um, but we, and we've now sort of lost that a bit. We, have, you know, and 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 there's reasons for that. You know, the world wars and dropping ABVs and all that sort of stuff. And also, mm-hmm. who really does want to drink like pints of eight percent beer? You know, it's not it's not feasible in our drinking culture as it now is. No, true. Um, but I was talking to Phil, and I was saying I wanted to create a missing link between Flanders Reds and sort of batted porters, because you know I was talking to some Dutch brewers and they were saying, yeah, that's this, and I was like, oh my god, look at the look at the puzzle, you know, the puzzle pieces falling into place. So what we have done there, excitingly. Is we basically made a Burton, so that's a sort of, uh, you know, a strong. So Burton ales were being made at the same time as IPAs were, you know, and they were sort of darker, maltier, more full-bodied sort of beers. Mm-hmm. A Burton red ale, so it's like a Burton mix with a Rodenbach Grand Cru. So there's loads going on with this beer, and it won't actually. We're getting a young version of it in cask, which is really exciting. And, but then it's going to be aged for a year in a variety of different barrels. Um, there's going to be some stuff blended into it. They've got this incredible Saison blend that's just sitting in a barrel up there, which we're going to put in there, as well as, as, well as the Rodenbach Rosalaire strain. So we're going to get try to get a young, the young month-old, untainted by all that weird stuff thing that we're going to try, which is also, I think, yeah, 5.86 as well, with Ernest Hobbs. And they also, what they did was, so I went up there for the for the brew day, but they actually mashed in the Heritage Chevalier malt overnight. Okay. So there's all, there's all sorts going on. So those are, those are three beers. Three beers at 6%, all mm-hmm. with earnest, all, all pretty dark. You know, this is not, um, I'm rebelling fully against my career <laughs> making 4% pale ales. Yeah. I mean, how sustainable it is. I mean, we can have this conversation in well, a year's time and I'll be yeah. making donut 
sours. <laughs> and, um, you know, being like, please buy my beer. <laughs> oh, no, it sound, they sound fantastic. Really looking forward to having them. Yeah, uh, they should oh, all taste different, I promise. Yeah, absolutely. Even yeah. though they sound identical. <laughs> they do sound pretty similar, but I'm, I, I trust you. I trust you. Thanks. Um, so we're talking about uh, obviously then the the going forward the beers that you are going to be making now obviously um, it sounds to me very much like you're into all the heritage recipes and um, doing things a little bit differently to to how everybody else is doing them now of course you had a big soft spot for prize old owl mm. would you do your own prize old owl I know it'd be quite difficult because you don't have that base beer to blend in but what would you do? How would you, would you make your own version? A sunken nave prize old owl. So the um yes, that is that is the plan to do that to do that eventually, but there is lots and lots of logistical issues that I need to I need to work out. Mm. Um the the biggest thing and what you what you learn about um beer the longer you're in it is that the you know, it's it's you know it's an old old cliche that the you know we brewers make the wort and yeast do all the work, um, and that's and that's really true. But if you look at um, uh, you know uh, everyone's brewing into the same cylindrical forty five degree cone FEs, you know, so there's a lot of narrow things rather than the, the being open fermenters like you get at Harvey's and stuff like that. So you have to do a lot of things that the yeast doesn't necessarily like. So that's a lot roundabout way of create the certain flavors that I want to make. You have to have a different type of fermenter geometry. So basically, I need I need I need um, space where I can have um, open fermenters. I can really mess around with that. So that that is the long that's a long term plan. So that's not that's not a particularly difficult thing to achieve. Mm. Um, because you know, you look at if you go to the Black Country, people like you know Holdens and um, uh, Black Country ales and uh, Bathams, of course. There and uh, you know they've got these sort of oval open fermenters that basically just sort of bolted bolted together. You know, they're not not, not particularly difficult bits of kit. Mm. But what happens there is is there's some some crucial things that happen. You know, the, the, the sort of yeast trub gets lifted to the top, which you can scrape off. Which also really helps you get rid of sulfur compounds and stuff like that, and also it means that you don't have to crash cool the yeast to try and get it to settle to the bottom, which is what right. we all do, you know. And a lot of that stuff, the, the fermenter geometry, and stuff, really really affects flavour. So I really I don't want to start making things like prize old ale until I have that worked worked out basically, because yeah. it's yeah. it's that's the and that's and that's probably quite boring and technical, but there's that that, that that's something that I find sort of um, fascinating, and that's really where you get a lot of these flavours. I mean, I was tomorrow actually I'm brewing a, a Sticker beer, a um, an alt beer at uh, the Hand in Hand pub in Brighton. It's mm. part of my day job with Hand. It's incredible. But in um, in Dusseldorf, I was in Dusseldorf in, in September, and we went to the Strussel Brewery, which is one of the alt breweries you don't really hear about it's all um the other one i can never pronounce um i should have i should have before i went down this tangent i should have remembered what the other one's name <laughs> but anyway so you go to schussel 
and they have what can only be described as two 90 hectolitre swimming pools full <laughs> of beer, right? And their yeast, their top fermenting ale yeast, is designed, it goes over the top onto this sort of slatted surface. Oh, and wow. that actual process of the yeast, you know, billowing over and doing its thing, according to Dirk, their brewer there, is vital. It has to do that to achieve the flavor. Mm. And when you when you drink the five percent everyday version, and then they and then they release the stickers, which is the, the sticker, which is the six percent version, twice a year. The difference between the five percent and six, you know, the fifth five percent beer is a great beer, but the sixth is like six percent is like whoa, the sticker beer. And he was like, yeah, this is really, this is why people can't mimic what we do because they don't have this sort of setup. Mm. So that's the that's the um you know that's the future of, of sunken nave yeah um but we'll yeah we'll, we'll see we'll yeah. see how how far we get there and 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 you know it's 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 it yeah it's i think that's a that's an important line in the sand which i will immediately um jettison you know as soon as someone chucks some money at me you know <laughs> Oh, okay, right. Well, I mean, we're looking forward to to that and, and sunken nave prize old out. Might be some years in the making, but uh, sounds like it's it's a plan. Um, mm. Right. So, in the last episode of the podcast, I had uh, a fellow uh, Sussex brewer, actually Brooke from Brolly Brewing, and oh, yes. Horsham. Uh, I had him on the podcast, and uh, a feature of the podcast is that I ask them to pose a question to the next guest. So, okay. uh, and then they don't know who the who the guest is. So, Brooks' question was, "What was the last wow beer you had? A beer that actually made you go wow?" Oh my god! I was thinking about this just today. It's going to make me sound like I'm, I'm drinking all the time. Um, well, I'm going to say I'm going to say it's, it's the it's the uh, elusive um, Christmas um, uh, the blooming mince pie barley wine. Okay. Because it really shouldn't have worked. Spices. I'm against them. Not really, no. But, you know, it, it, it's a difficult thing to get right. And that beer and, you know, barley wine, strong, strong liquid. And I think that's another important thing about barley wines. I really don't like them when they're cloyingly sweet. Mm. There has to be that balance there. So they made a beautifully balanced barley wine plus all the other shenanigans in there. So I'm going to go with that one, the barley okay. wine. Okay, then. Fantastic. Uh, now, when I told Brooke uh, afterwards, after he'd asked that question, um, who the next guest was, he said, oh, I have to I have to ask something else. Uh, so you've got a second question from him. Um, and that's who are your heroes? Yeah. Who's influenced him in, in the yeah, he's proved with some interesting people? Yes. Um, well, there's there's so many. Um, uh Wow, where to where to begin? Where to begin? I mean, I, I would say um, Jamil Zenashev, who, if you guys don't know, is a sort of legendary US brewer, author, podcaster. Um, mm -hmm. I was actually in, in Dusseldorf with him, and um, he helped me brew the Prize Old Ale. And um, we, the first beer we ever did together was at Fuller's, and we did a black blackberry sour. So we actually made. 260 hectolitres of sour beer. We soured it at mm. Fuller's, which was incredible. They had yeah. to like rewrite the software to enable us to do it <laughs> without the kettle just being like, reject, reject. 
and even then he when we were casting it out he had to he had to help us out and stuff so he was he was really really heavily involved um and you know so i you know i love him i think he really uh you know in a typical american fashion he really um forces you to um push the boat out you know he's constantly coming up even though he's he's um given up his his he sold his brewery um you know he's still full of full of mad ideas um and so passionate about about beer so that's 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 really inspirational um and who who else i mean um again so many so many people uh, i mean you've got you've got miles jenner at harvey's who's uh, you know just a wonderful wonderful gentleman a real um a real you know he's he's, he's his dad was brewer of harvey's for 40 years and now he's he's been brewer for 40 years you know such a kind generous uh, knowledgeable person and he's and he's managed to keep harvey's on the road you know and that's a very very difficult thing to do so he's he's uh he's he's, he's right up there um and i also have to say of course georgina young um who who gave me the job at fuller's when she possibly shouldn't have um <laughs> she um i mean boy did we used to have arguments we used to have lots and lots of arguments with really but the longer the longer i'm in the game the more i realize you know she actually really cared and mm. um you know and that's why that's why we were having all those arguments and, yeah uh, i'm very i'm very grateful to her because i wouldn't i wouldn't be here without her sort of taking a punt on me so you know and she's mm. gone on to great success with um and, and all absolutely that. yeah yeah and won the uh the brewer of the year at the british guild of beer writers awards last yeah, i don't year. like to talk about that because i was up against her yes 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 well a bit bittersweet, right perhaps, yeah. <laughs> it was bittersweet, but what was hilarious is that um, old Johnny Garrett was so unable to, well, maybe it's not his fault, but I don't know, he was so unable to operate the space bar when he was doing the awards <laughs> that we actually saw the first slide was the winners. So I was sat next to Sean Knight, head brewer of Siren, who is, you know, we were like, you know, he also nominated. I was like, Sean, I love you, mate. You know, I hope you win. And he was like, likewise. Obviously, both <laughs> flying to each other. But then we just saw the George had won. So we were like, so, you know, and then and then I saw that you didn't actually get the opportunity to make a speech. So immediately I felt better because if I wasn't able to waffle on about something, yeah. you, know, you know, I'm not interested in that award. You know, I'm not <laughs> just silently get a photo. That's not me. That's not yeah. my style. No, <laughs> um, those those are the three. Okay, okay. Many others. Absolutely, as you say, plenty out there, but those those are three. Yeah. Uh, so, could you do me a favour then and set a question to my next guest? What is your favourite new English hop variety? Okay. Your favourite is, is that something that's been asked a lot, or no? I don't think so. I think people ask about do you use English hops, um, but then they were it was the whole breadth. You know, the breadth and width of of any English hops at all, even the the the, the um, heritage ones. So, yeah, that's that's more of a kind of question about the new the new mm. hops. Because a lot of work is going into in, into it, you know. So I'm always interested to hear what people what people think. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing Ernest is yours. Yes, of course. It's all <laughs> it's all I use. It's exclusive, Ernest. Yeah. yeah. I must admit, I have enjoyed uh, several beers that I've had with Olicana. Mm. Um, I'm I'm loving how that is doing a lot of the the kind of work that some of the the juicy citras, Simcoes do mm. um, from the states. 
Um, you know, for a while it was thought that we couldn't grow hops like that. Um, and now we are. So um, I love that hop. I mean, Ernest has been great as well. Bullion too. But I think, yeah, um, uh, Olekana for me. Yes, um, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's because the hop acreage in the UK is so small compared to America, mm. you, you can tell um, the, the, the difference between where it's grown. So so I agree. I think I think Olekana is on a real upward trajectory. But I remember, um, you know, Charles Farron, for example, they've got a great grower called, um, I think it's like Town End Farms or something. So they they do a lot of the work growing these initial varieties. Everyone gets them like these are incredible. And then it gets farmed out to other farms and it might not quite be at that same incredible, right. incredible level. Whereas, yeah. in you know, in America, they've got hundreds of tens of thousands of acres. So their their aggregate quality is amazing yeah so that's i mean and um as i sort of said in my blog i was very lucky to do green hot beers at rockstar so we would drive to um hukin's hops in in tenterden which is an hour and a half amazing drive through all these winding sussex countryside the weald um usually stop off at the uh, at a harvey's pub for lunch and pick up you know 25 kilos worth of, of, of fresh hops which would completely fill um, whoever was poor old box or coarser we were using for it. <laughs> yeah, because 20, you know, 25 kilos of type 90 pellets is like that. But 25 kilos of undried green hops is, you know, you have to put your sit the, the back seats down. So I was very fortunate with the Ernest Hops because Hugens Hops were you know, the first guys to bring it back. Um, mm. And I was there in, in 2022 and to see it growing in the field and see those beautiful green cones, smell the aroma and stuff and that really sort of wedded wedded me to to them mm. um, and we're actually going to be using 2023 earnest on saturday so i look forward to giving that a sniff nice. um yeah we've got we've got to do all we can to support our our hot growers yeah God bless yeah. them it's tough out very true very true right well henry ah it's been excellent chatting with you i've really enjoyed uh delving into your history and also what sunken neighbors uh, is bringing to the table and uh, going forward what, what's going to be coming our way. Um, and of course, as I've said before, really looking forward to sampling those beers, uh, all, the, all three of those same but not the same beers on, on <laughs> Thursday. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm delighted you can come for that's That's, that's really, really great. Um, you know, my mum's going to be there. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> my kids will be there briefly, I hope, <laughs> drinking me under the table. <laughs> um so yeah yeah and thank and thank you so much for um thank you so much for having having me on and uh yes i hope i hope i'm waffled on too much no 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 it's been fascinating absolutely brilliant thanks very much for your time yes thank you thank you all the best bye-bye i thoroughly enjoyed that i hope you did too henry is an effervescent person for sure i did get down to the evening star in brighton a few days after recording that chat with him to the official launch of the brewery and I got to taste all three of those beers that Henry was worried would all seem the same. But I can guarantee that they each had their own character. I started with the Simple Things collab, a red ale, which had a nice sour twist to it. Not overly sour, but just enough to give it a different dimension. The Old Ale, brewed in collaboration with Andy Parker's Elusive, was next. And that one was full-bodied, chewy in the best possible way, and rammed full of flavour. 
Finally, the solo brew, Mumping Ale, was a triumph. An exceptionally drinkable beer, malt forward, but not overshadowing the use of the English hop, Ernest, which, as Henry mentioned in our chat, is actually in all three of those beers. The evening was fantastic for its beers, but also for the time spent with a great bunch of people there, including Henry himself, elusive Andy Parker, good friend of the podcast Colin Gillam and his lovely wife Dina, Amelie Tassan, who organised the event, fellow podcaster Rob Cadwell, he does We Are Beer People, check that out, fellow beer writers Emma Inch and Jessica Mason, and Kate Hyde, the head brewer slash owner at Hand Bruco, the brewery that Henry works at during the week and whose kit he uses to brew his beers at the weekend. Right, that's all for this episode. But before I go, just a quick mention to the Beer O'Clock Show Beer Longings team of Steve, Mark and Rob. In their most recent episode, they announced that they were calling it a day and Steve outlined his reasons for this decision after 12 years of beer podcasting with various co-hosts along the way. Best of luck to all three in their future endeavours. Most of all to Steve, who as you know has been a guest here a couple of times and has always been excellent value. One of Steve's reasons was engagement, and I can't help but echo how hard it is these days. With that in mind, I do appeal to you once again to drop me an email to beerprimeuk at gmail.com or leave me a voice message on SpeakPipe, and that's at speakpipe.com forward slash beerprime. And you can let me know your thoughts on the podcast or maybe ask me a question about anything beer-related, or perhaps even pose a question to one of the next upcoming guests, which will be Dominic Metcalf of Buxton Brewery on the next episode, and on the one after that, it'll be Paul Jones of Cloudwater. So, bear that in mind, drop me an email or a message on SpeakPipe, and get your questions in, get your thoughts over to me, ask me a question, ask Paul or Dominic a question, anything like that, um, and uh, I'd really look forward to hearing from you. Follow me on Twitter and Insta at the same username, and both of those, I'm at UK. Right, that's it. I'm out. Thanks so much for listening. Cheers. <laughs>